You have been tagged by 2.1, a Netrunner Reboot Project podcast. Episode 33, I've got a surprise for you. Hey, this is Remy. No, you haven't been tagged. Don't worry. I'm not some evil corporation. The title card for this week's episode is Eureka, a double event that comes in second thoughts that dramatically lowers the cost of installing a card. And the flavor is, well, it's the title of the episode. Although I'm guessing that Kate, I think that's Kate on the image, is actually saying it more like, I've got a surprise for you. Something like that. It is false advertising, though. I don't really have a surprise for you. Unless that surprise is, this episode is running late. So, as I said, I was going to be on vacation. And I was expecting to work on, you know, getting the episode ready so that when I came back from vacation, I could record it. But I didn't really get as far down that path as I'd hoped partly because I got sidetracked by helping Cleric, who is one of the two main guys behind the Reboot Project. Uh, try, he's the one that's behind all of the, you know, retechy and all the technical side of the things, really. And I'm wanting to print proxies of the Reboot cards. And so I've got this added motivation to help him sort of make just slight tweaks to some of the images here and there so that it can look as as good as possible. So I spent a lot of the time I would have spent working on the episode doing that instead. Sorry. But maybe you'll benefit from that later. Who knows? And then, not to go into a whole uh, banter segment of an episode, but then on our way back from vacation, uh, we went through an airport, picked up some uh, Cinnabons, right? Cinnabon? Cinnabon, Cinnabon, and I had one of those on the plane, and then I had one the next night, and then the next night came around, and and I asked my wife, you know, are these still good? I mean, it says don't put them in the refrigerator, and she said, yeah, they should still be good. We just got them two days ago, so the answer was no, that it was not still good, and just because it says don't put it in the refrigerator isn't the same thing as it doesn't go bad. Um, and, you know, we bought them in the evening. Probably they'd been prepared early in the morning. So they were probably more like two and a half days old at that point. Anyway, I had a bad time. So that's hence the delay. And my voice, I can even hear it. Maybe you can't hear it, but I can hear it. My voice sounds thinner and higher. And so that's a lot of the reason for it. just haven't fully recovered from the... Uh, food poisoning. Anyway, that might be too much information. So let's just move on to the episode, which is primarily going to be covering the second data pack from the second cycle in uh, Netrunner. Second Thoughts is the name of it. Although I want to start off with uh, a little article that maybe has a little broader interest and application uh, to anybody who's playing Netrunner. 
Archived Memories Aggressive Running What to Fear This is one of the first posts in the Satellite Uplink blog from David Sutcliffe that I've quoted from and referred to a number of times previously. This one dated September 7th of 2013, so before the release of Second Thoughts. And as I go through this, naturally the specific card details here will differ depending on the pool that you're playing in. He's right here, pretty much at the same card pool that we're using here, if you've been following along with the 2.1 card pool. However, if you're using the full reboot card pool, or if you're using the null signal card pool, clearly the cards are different, and so your analysis will have to be a little different. But uh, you might be able to apply the same tools that he did in this article to answer similar sorts of questions. So I'm just going to read it. It's not super long. When new players step into a runner's shoes for the first few times, it can be a very daunting proposition. Across the table, the corporation is installing all sorts of cards face down, daring you to take him on and risk the wrath of the ice he's ready to res. You want to run, but he has ice in the way. Is it a code gate? Is it a sentry? Is it a barrier? Whatever it is, doesn't matter because you haven't got any icebreakers installed, so you're going to run into it at full speed and defenseless. It's a kamikaze play, right? Wrong. While running into ice in the first few turns usually guarantees an unsuccessful run, it is often well worth doing anyway. The cost to the corp of rezzing his ice is often greater than the cost to you of hitting it. Often you'll get nothing worse than a bloody nose from an end-the-run subroutine, a bloody nose which it cost the corp precious credits to give you. The flip side to this aggressive running is what happens if the runner sits back, afraid of the unrest ice, and builds his rig instead. One of my friends who was learning to play Netrunner often looks at my corp in despair as I've got a bunch of unrest ice and a ton of cash waiting to res them. You've always got so much cash you could res anything, he complains. But the reason I have all that cash is because he's never asked me to spend any of it. More than that, by installing his programs and resources and hardware, he's actually made my ice better because now he's got targets for my ice to trash or resources I can shred if he gains a tag. Turn 1 Click 1. The runner is in a great position to run into ice as there's virtually nothing you can hit that actually hurts. There's even less that hurts you, more than it hurts the corpse bank balance to res the ice in the first place. You've no programs to lose, no resources to lose. You can pay to clear any tag you receive. Any scary bioroid ice can be broken by using clicks, and you can draw cards to replace any net damage you get. What can go wrong? Running into ice early in the game is often a great plan. At the cost of a click to run, you suck money out of the corpse bank account, you put pressure on the corpse resources and defenses, and gain valuable information about the ice you're facing and the ice breakers you need to install first. The real question to bear in mind is, what's the worst that could happen? 
What's the worst piece of ice you could run into by running with your first click? The dreaded neural katana has a very strong claim for being the worst thing that can happen to you on your first run. For the cost of four credits to res, well, in reboot, it's only two now, the, uh, for four credits to res the katana, the corp is able to force you to discard three cards from your hand. As you start the game with five cards, it's not a lethal blow, but it still hurts. You can spend your next three clicks to draw replacement cards, but that means you've effectively spent your entire first turn in a single run. Ouch. On the plus side, at least you now know the katana is there and won't ever run into it with only two cards in hand. Cost to corp, four credits. Again, two in reboot. Cost to runner, three cards. Hunter and Draco are very similar cards that hurt the runner in similar ways. Hunter won't stop the run, so you still get to access the server you ran at, but you probably have to spend a click and two credits to clear the tag you're going to get. That doesn't hurt anywhere near as much as Neural Katana, but it sets you back for the rest of your opening turn. Worse yet, it only costs the corporation one credit to res, so they hurt you for minimal cost unlike the Neural Katana. Draco also only costs one credit to res, but unlike Hunter, it will stop the run if the trace succeeds. At trace two, the runner can often get better economy by paying to increase their link. But if Draco is being played by NBN, their identity can make it trace four, which makes it a Hunter that ends the run. Cost to Corp, one credit. Cost a runner, two credits and a click. Unlike Neural Katana and Hunter, running into Caduceus won't punish the runner. But what makes this card a painful one to hit early on is that it is likely to end your run at the cost of no credits to the corp. If the first trace succeeds, the corp gets the money back that was spent to res Caduceus. Then a second trace either ends the run or forces the runner to spend credits. Caduceus is one of the few cards that costs the corp nothing. Shadow is similar, handing the runner a tag instead of ending the run. And that's what puts it into this list. Cost to corp, zero credits. Cost to runner, the click you spent to run. Pop-up window. Finally, like Caduceus, the humble pop-up window costs the corp nothing to res in front of the runner, and in fact, it actually pays the corp while taxing one credit from the runner. In terms of impact, the pop-up window does very little. It doesn't stop the run. It doesn't make the runner discard his hand. It doesn't make him spend a click clearing tags. But you can't argue too much with the subtle economic drain of taking one credit from the runner and giving it to the corp. The only downside for the corp is whether the benefit from pop-up window was worth the click spent to install it, especially if it's on a central server and the credits gained will be lost when more ice layers are installed later in the game. Cost to corp, minus one credit. Cost to runner, one credit. Those four cards, 
probably represent the worst that a runner can hit on the first turn, especially on the first click. Neural Katana represents a real problem because losing three cards from your opening hand is no joke. You probably like those cards. The other three are more like a sliding scale of economic annoyances, from the relatively expensive cost of removing a tag from Hunter to the minor hassle of a distracting pop-up window. And that's it. From 50-plus pieces of ice currently in the game, there is just one that you have any reason to be truly scared of, turn one, click one. One. All other pieces of ice are costing the corp as much to res as they're costing you by ending the run. Even the big ice that punish you like a toll booth will cost the corp pretty much their whole credit pool just to hurt you nowhere near as much. So what have we learned? Like Usain Bolt, you'll usually want to start running as quickly as possible. Spending a click to run and force the corp to spend three credits to res a wall of static is a great use of your clicks. Later in the game, you've more cards installed that are vulnerable, and the corp has more ice installed to set up punishing combinations like chum neural katana that can actually kill you. Don't be put off by unresed ice and a stash of credits. What's the worst that could happen? Not, it turns out, anything too bad. Satellite Uplink Second Thoughts The Runner Side Second Thoughts was released November 7th of 2013, a year and two months after the core set. Of its 20 cards, 12 receive adjustments, six for each side, although they are not split down the middle in distribution. There are nine runner cards, 11 corp cards. Let's take a look at, and none of all of these are buffs. There are no nerfs in this pack. Let's take a look at the six runner buffs. First, Bishop, another Kaisa program, an install cost of zero and two influence. For a click, you can host it on a piece of ice that is not already being hosted on, and that host ice has negative three strength, used to be negative two strength. Now, that click to host means you can actually move it, right? So for your first time you click it, you put it on a piece of ice. The next time you move it to a different piece of ice. And since bishops and chess move diagonally, the way that's represented here is moving from a central to a remote. Right, so you can move from any central to any remote and back again to a central. The art here from Adam S. Doyle. Hard at Work is an Anarch resource with an install cost of two, down from five. It's also two influence. When your turn begins, gain two credits and lose a click. Art from Matt Zeilinger. All three criminal cards are receiving buffs. Recon, a run event, has its cost go from one to zero. It is two influence. You may jack out when you encounter the first piece of ice. You normally you can't do that. Copycat is a program with an install cost of one, has gone from one to zero memory units. 
and as one influence, whenever you pass a piece of ice, you may trash copycat, and if you do, you can choose another resed copy of that ice and continue from there as if you had just passed that ice. So let's say that someone put a wall of static uh, at the the third, the first sub, the first ice you're going to encounter on a three ice server. And then there's another three ice server where wall of static is the innermost ice. Well, you could break the wall of static on the outermost server, trash copycat, and now be on the innermost ice and just go and access that server. So that's pretty cool. Well, anyway, Leviathan is the other criminal card, a decoder with an install cost of six, a strength of three, it's two influence. For three credits, you can break up to three code gate subroutines. And for one credit, previously it was three, you can add five strength. And then one of the shaper cards receives a buff, our title card, Eureka. A double event that's gone from a cost of three to zero. Uh, of course, in addition to the click extra click cost is one influence. Reveal the top card of your stack. You can install it for a 10 credit reduction. Uh, but if you can't or don't want to, you trash it instead. The three cards that are not changed are one from Anarch, Shahrazad, a unique demon program with an install cost of zero one influence, it can host any number of programs, and whenever you install a program, you gain one credit. The other shaper card, Record Reconstructor, is a piece of hardware with an install cost of zero, an influence of one. When running archives, you may choose one face-up card and add it to R&D. So you're giving the corp a card back. And the neutral card in the pack, Prepaid VoicePad, a hardware at an install cost of two, gives you a recurring credit to play events. Our at-a-glance Reddit thread says that that prepaid VoicePad is potentially useful for any runner. Uh, We also see that it makes a three-of appearance in one of the pre-constructed decks, uh, Prepaid VoicePad Kate, PPVP Kate. Uh, The only other runner card from this pack is Scheherazad that makes an appearance in a pre-con. It's a one-of in a noise build that needs some significant pieces that we don't have yet. The source. Uh, Here's normally where I put information about cards that have received nerfs as given to us by the big boy. But there are no nerfs this time around. However, one of the cards that was not changed, and I think it's notable, is Record Reconstructor. Now, uh, it could have been, I don't know how you would have buffed it. (laughs) That's the thing. So on the spreadsheet, there's, if you go to the, actually, if you go to netrunner2.1.com, that's the easiest way. It takes you, redirects you to the Reboot Project homepage, and you see all the links to the Discord and to everything else there. And one of the links takes you to all of the changes that have been made. There's a spreadsheet, a Google sheet that you can access, and you can see what they all are. Okay? So on that sheet, Record Reconstructor 
it, it'll it for the comment the big boy put there just says, I surrender. <laughs> so I asked him if he could elaborate on that, and he said this: the card is horrible, but if it were to be playable, the gameplay it's seeking is so negative, it's best to let it die. The goal of the card is to lock the corp by repeatedly putting useless cards on top of their deck while you have some kind of huge drip econ. So I said, so it just needs to not exist. And he said, yeah, there's no point trying to save it. It either does nothing or makes the game take two hours. So though it was not buffed, you should not interpret that to mean that Record Reconstructor is a good card. In fact, the big boy made a tier list a few months ago of all the Fantasy Flight cards in the Reboot card pool. He didn't rate the ones that Reboot has uh, imported through the boosters. But all the Fantasy Flight Fantasy Flight cards, he's rated them from 1 to 10. So not a tier list like the classic S, A, B, C, D tier list, but one where, and here, here's the, the descriptions he gave for them. So 10 is a game-defining powerhouse. 9 is a power card. 8, a strong staple. 7, a solid role player. 6, a niche role player. 5, fringe playable. Four serviceable jank, three jank, two embarrassing jank, and one useless. Now he hasn't shared the entirety of this list, but he did give us all the cards that are tens, all the cards that he views as nines, and the six cards that he views as ones, useless. And record reconstructor is one of those six cards that he rated a one. Uh, We haven't seen the other two runner cards that are rated a one yet. We have seen one of the three corp cards, Zaibatsu Loyalty from the core set. The other ones will be coming along a little later on. Matrix Analyzer. Looking at the runner buffs in Second Thoughts. Uh, Let's just take a few of them here. Start with Hard at Work. So Hard at Work is basically the credit version of Wildside, right? With both cards, you give up a click, and then you get double double a click's worth of input. So for Wildside, you get two cards. For Hard at Work, you get two credits, which seems pretty good. Although card draw is harder to get than credit gain, right? There are lots of different economy cards, but there aren't a whole lot of different card draw cards. So for that reason, charging five credits for hard at work is kind of tough, right? So because that's the same price as Magnum Opus, which is also two credits per click, for a click, right? If you use Magnum Opus once a turn, it's the same as hard at work. So you can see the logic behind it being five credits, but of course, they don't really compare very well. Uh, Hard at work, you have to use it every turn. Magnum Opus, you don't. Hard at work, you can only use it once a turn. Magnum Opus, you could do four times. Same with professional contacts, you could do four times. So the fact that they, they really shouldn't cost the same amount. Plus, it's going to take five turns for it to pay for itself. So only costing two credits to install 
it'll just pay for itself in a couple of turns. Still, you probably want some extra support, maybe in the form of Aesop's pawn shop, right? So that if you, when you're tired of it, like with Wildside and you want to turn it off, you just sell it. Uh, adjusted chronotype, maybe, uh, because that one, that's one that comes along a little bit later because it lets you get the click back, and it, but it costs more than it used to. Uh, career fair is another one that comes later because it lets you install resources more cheaply, but they don't come along till the fourth cycle, those kinds of support. So for now, hard at work is just cheaper. So Eureka, which lets you install something really cheap, but then you have to know that it's there. So there are a couple of ways you can do that. One is by using, and to me this is maybe the obvious one, it's test run for a femme fatale, which is something that is common to do. And then, of course, once you've used the femme, it goes back on top of your deck. So if you have Eureka, you know it's there, reduces the cost by up to 10, you get a free femme install. Pretty good. Of course, that's a three-card combo. And so that now you're getting to be on a fringe application. Another pairing for it is to use Motivation, which is a shaper resource from Creation and Control that lets you look at the top card of your deck every turn. So uh, those two seem designed to work well together. Now, what sorts of expensive things are you going to install? Well, here, so far, are the costs of some expensive items. Let's start with things that cost five. So if it's five cost, I mean, that's still, if you're using Eureka, you've already got motivation out, you are spending two clicks and then putting the, installing these for free. So it's a savings, not having to spend one click and five credits, right? So the things that cost five are magnum opus, Crypsis and professional contacts. We have three cards that cost six the Og.0, Liberated Account, and Leviathan. For seven, you can get the Toolbox or Morningstar. For eight, nothing costs eight at the moment. Torch comes in the next pack. For nine, you have Femme Fatale and Blaggard, although Blaggard is not until the fifth pack. And then, of course, for 12, you have Monolith. So, you're not installing multiples of those. I don't know if you have if you have a deck where you want to install more than one of those, then maybe Eureka makes sense. But since you probably don't, then we see the trend of buffing doubles continuing. Remember, frame job went from a cost of one to zero, hostage from one to zero. Eureka now goes from three to zero. Now the corp card's invasion of privacy went from two to zero. Only Celebrity Gift is a double that has not yet been touched in price. Let's also talk about Copycat for a minute. The buff here is to make it cost zero MU, which makes it only the second program in the game to have no memory cost. After just the last pack, we got Pawn. Now, in the case of Copycat, this is a reboot change. Pawn was designed that way by Fantasy Flight. Now, uh, Copycat was already fairly cheap to use. It only cost you one credit to install it. It was only one influence, so it could go anywhere. 
But since memory can really get limited fast, because you have so many staple programs like Data Sucker, Parasite, your 2MU self-modifying code, or maybe Magnum Opus, makes a little more sense to drop this one down to zero. It kind of pairs sort of nicely with copy with a self-modifying code in that case, because the two together are only taking up two spots in your rig. Uh, at least you can maybe consider it a little bit. Data Sucker. The new icebreaker in Second Thoughts, Leviathan. As a reminder, it is a decoder with an install cost of 6 and a strength of 3. It does break at the normal 1 to 1 rate, but you have to spend 3 to break 3. And then its boost is just like Ninja. Spend 1 to boost by 5. Clearly, it's a massive cost to install it. Six credits is a ton for an icebreaker. It's the same as Yogg was adjusted to. A Yogg is also a decoder. But all the things that Yogg can break without help for zero, salvage, chimera, pop-up window, next bronze, enigma, data pike, Leviathan's going to need to spend three to break any of them, which means it is definitely worse against small code gates than every other decoder. Now, comparing it to decoders that actually have to spend money to break things is where it gets a little more favorable, and it does start to shine, actually, once we get to mid-range code gates and up. Generally, it is just as good as, or even one credit better, than Zool, uh, Zoo.13 Keymaster, to break anything else, you know, over cost of three which means that it's just as good or only one credit worse than Gordian Blade on everything from Data Pike and up. Of course, you've only spent four to install Gordian Blade, and you're spending six to install Leviathan. Of course, Gordian Blade is going to break those small code gates for only a credit or two. Leviathan's always going to cost three. Uh, it's also worth noting that no code gates yet have more than three subroutines, so that's a plus, because you're never going to have to spend six credits to break four. Uh, Hourglass has three. None have more than a seven strength. At this point, cell portal is the most, is the strongest code gate. That's good. That means you're never going to have to boost it twice to get it into range. So, if you're a criminal, and don't want to spend money on a decoder out of faction, or to spend influence rather, and can eat the upfront cost, Leviathan actually, I think, is a better option than Peacock. Uh, it's a lateral move, anyway. Maybe it depends on what code gates you're actually seeing. Now, many of the cards discussed in this week's episode are linked in the show notes. Music is from Alexi Action. The website, as I mentioned earlier, which redirects to the Reboot Project homepage is netrunner2.1.com. There you can see the link to the Reboot Discord server. You can also see that in the show notes. If you want to play online, go to reteki.fun. And here just in the last few weeks, there has been a ranked mode. It looks like it might be a seasonal ranked mode that is being tested out, where 
Uh, you can challenge someone else. If you both agree to it, to have your matches count for the ranked mode, then you can uh, have your rating increase or decrease. So uh, take a look at that. You go in the Looking for Game, the LFG channel to find information there. And contact me following any of the any of the stuff there in the show notes. So a little bit of a shorter show this time around. Um, again, recovering, coming back from vacation, recovering from a little illness. I'll be back again in a couple of weeks, week and a half, for uh, the corpse side of Second Thoughts. But uh, leaving out on Astroscript, Astroscript Pilot Program, the flavor insert from Second Thoughts, which is about Project Nisei. So stick around if you want to hear that. And if not, we'll see you next time. Project Nisei. Eyes only. This communication is confidential. If you are not the intended recipient, destroy this communication without reading. Psych eval number 14-032688. Subject C. Summary. Subject C continues to develop strong interpersonal skills. The subject's emotional health is generally good. Recommend temporary suspension of external duties and liberty due to recent traumatic event, detailed in paragraph 6. Analysis Subject C reported as scheduled for routine evaluation. Session consisted of analysis, card reading, the Fukushima procedure, and covert observation over a meal. During analysis, discussion focused on Subject C's work with NAPD. Subject continues to find work challenging and rewarding. Numerous anecdotes reveal increased confidence and competence in interactions with human co-workers, suspects, and civilians. This continues an ongoing trend as noted in prior reports. For this card-reading session, interviewer employed techniques detailed in memo Case Nisei No. 11-022788. A fresh set of cards was introduced. The cards were generated by a random algorithm and had never been seen by interviewer or Subject C. Subject C's success rate was 88%, down slightly from last session, but well within the margin of error. Card reading success rate has been effectively unchanged over the last three sessions. Recommend referral to Project Nisei side division for analysis. This may represent a natural upper limit to Subject C's abilities, or a failure on the part of the interview team to sufficiently challenge the subject. Fukushima procedure results are attached in Appendix B. As is the habit of these sessions, a meal was provided, and Subject C was encouraged to eat and relax. The stimulus during this meal was provided by this writer's daughter, a girl of seven, 
who we predicted would induce strong emotions in the subject. Note, despite the events described below, it is still this writer's belief that the girl was in no danger. Subject C trailed off mid-sentence during the meal, ignoring several attempts by the girl to resume the conversation. Subject then dropped to the ground in a kneeling position and screamed. Addendum. On review of records, the timestamp of this event coincides with the impact of the recent tsunami on lower Guayaquil, putting Subject C within relative proximity to a great loss of life. Subject proceeded to speak rapidly and incoherently and seemed to be in great distress. Finally, subject collapsed into a fetal position and became catatonic for 57 minutes. When awoken, subject C complained of a headache but claimed to be otherwise fit to resume duties with NAPD. The complete AV record of the incident is attached in Appendix A. The preliminary medical report is attached in Appendix C. Recommend Subject C be remanded to Project Nisei Kresh Division for thorough medical workup and recuperation, and that Subject C be confined to quarters until cleared by Kresh Division. Pending approval by Project Nisei, there are no objections to Subject C resuming duties with NAPD. Hitomi Knox, PSYD, Project Nisei, Chief Psychologist.